Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. If you're applying for US colleges and universities or considering doing so in future, then this episode is for you. That's because I'm talking to college consultant Terry Thompson, who is a formidable wealth of information about the vast ecosystem of US colleges and who's generously here on the show today to walk us through the many options in terms of choosing colleges, how to decide where's right for you to apply and kind of various strategies you can use to find your way through the process and come out with a great result and the right fit for you. I'm going to be following this conversation up next week with an interview with Greg Smith, uh, who's a highly experienced US tutor who's been running his own tutoring office for 35 years uh, and who's a wealth of information on all sorts of uh, information regarding uh, academic success in, in America. But in particular, I'm going to be talking to him next week about his secret formula for a killer college essay. So once Terry today has helped us figure out where to apply and our kind of application strategy, do join us again next week to listen to Greg, uh, who's here to help you craft the essay that will give your application the best chance of success. So let's meet Terry and get right into today's conversation. I'm Terry Thompson. I um, am part of an organization called Thompson College Consulting, which I founded about a dozen years ago. Um, we have a team of people who work with me who help students to figure out which colleges that they will want to apply to. And I'm going to start uh, by mentioning that when I say colleges in the U.S., the term college can refer to a four-year school where a student will get a bachelor's degree um, or a university can also refer to that. And I'm going to probably use those terms interchangeably. So I want to make sure that everybody knows what I'm talking about when I talk about the college experience. I'm referring to a four-year bachelor's degree. And there are about 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. So when students come to me, they are trying to make sense of which of those 4,000 schools should they apply to. They'll usually want to apply to maybe 10 or 12 of them. Um, sometimes not that many, but 10 or 12 is a, a pretty common number. And then they need to figure out which of those schools are going to make sense for them to submit their applications to. I have uh, come from a kind of a different background from some people who do what I do. A lot of people have come out of the high school counseling experience. I actually came from the professional career world. I used to work as a um, headhunter, as somebody who helped people to change jobs. But I had discovered that while I was working with those people, I was often very, very curious about how they had made their decision about which university to attend in the U.S. and what to study. So eventually it was time for me to make a change in my career. And I discovered that there was this field of independent educational consulting where that's what I get to do. I get to help families and guide them on this journey. Yeah. Excellent. Clearly, you, you, you know, there's a huge range of different colleges you can apply to, schools, universities you can apply to in, in the U.S., 
I wondered if it might be helpful to just give a little bit of a, before we kind of start talking about, you know, the, perhaps the considerations and what might be right for some students uh, over others. It, perhaps we could just kind of kind of get a bit of a categorization. What are the sort of the main types of uh, you know options out there uh, that we're that we're kind of deciding between when it comes to selecting where we're gonna where we're gonna put on our list of of uh, places to apply to. I'm really, really glad that you asked that because one of the big differences here in the U.S. versus much of the rest of the world is that we have a number of schools that are called small liberal arts colleges. These are schools that have maybe 2,000 or fewer students who attend. They're called liberal arts, but that encompasses everything from um, the humanities, English, history, philosophy, to the social sciences, psychology, sociology, anthropology, to the natural sciences, biology, physics, chemistry. In fact, a lot of students who go to these small liberal arts colleges are planning to go to medical school or law school. They're using this as their launching pad to go on to graduate school later. These um, schools are different from the, the bigger universities, primarily because of their size, because they are smaller. They also give the students a much more intimate experience. So you get a chance to get to know your professors more closely, and you get a chance to get to know your fellow students more closely. The students tend to live either on the campus or very close to the campus rather than commuting in from miles away. And they um, develop a community and a lifelong set of friendships and professors that they can call on for recommendations and internships and research opportunities. That's a, that's a type of school that is not as available in most of the world, but it's very common here in the U.S. The other schools within the U.S. would be a medium-sized university. Oftentimes, these might be uh, a Catholic school or a Jesuit school where they are located in the middle of a city. Schools like Boston College, Fordham University, Georgetown University, um, University of San Francisco, um, Loyola Marymount, those are all in um, DePaul. Those are all in cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, D.C., New York, Boston, they are attractive to students partly because of their location, of being in the middle of a city, also because they're a little bit bigger than the small liberal arts colleges. The small liberal arts colleges might have 2,000 students. These Catholic schools often have six to eight to 10,000 students. They often have a focus on a pre-professional. So if you want to study business or engineering or teaching or nursing, these schools will often offer those programs for, for students. And then the next jump up is the public universities. Those are usually in the range of 15 to 30,000 students who attend the public universities. Everybody knows, of course, of schools like, you know, the University of California, Berkeley or UCLA or University of Michigan, uh, University of Washington here in Seattle, where I'm from. These are all world class institutions that have a lot of of programs that are available. They're also known as research universities because they get a lot of research funding, primarily at the graduate level, though. The focus is often on the graduate students at these schools. 
The undergraduate students are um, generally will be taking big lecture hall classes. The system here um, at those universities, at those big research universities, is actually going to be closer to what some of the UK schools offer than what the small liberal arts colleges offer. So those are the three big categories, small liberal arts college, medium-sized school, often um, a Catholic school, not always. There would be other schools that fall into that size of medium size would be some of the Ivy League schools that everybody is so familiar with, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Stanford. Um, then, um, Then the next jump up would be the public universities. So also that's another difference. Public universities means state-funded uh, universities. Uh, private, of course, is uh, privately funded. The costs, of course, in the U.S., huge range of costs. I don't think I really even have time to address all of the um, complications regarding cost. But one thing that everybody should know when they're looking at uh, the cost of schools in the U.S. that the the price that you see listed is not always the price that you will pay, especially if it's um, a school that is interested in having you there for some particular reason, if they're really attracted to wanting you to add to their diversity or something else, then they might offer you a scholarship to make it more affordable to attend. There may be ways to make the money work. <laughs> yes, there may be. I'm just curious. You mentioned Ivy League a moment ago, and uh, you know that's that's always kind of captured captured my imagination a little bit. Um, you know, I, 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 here in the UK, Oxford and Cambridge are the two sort of big aspirational universities. I, I was an old uh, Cambridge alumnus my, myself, and it seems like Ivy League is sort of the the kind of US version of that. Uh, would would that would that be accurate? Yes, it actually is very accurate. the The history behind the Ivy League is that it was started as an athletic conference. The main schools that are in the official Ivy League are Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Cornell, Dartmouth, University of Pennsylvania. I don't think I've forgotten any. In addition to those schools that are part of the official Ivy League, people often lump in other aspirational schools such as MIT, Georgetown, Duke, Stanford, Northwestern in Chicago, and um, Washington University in St. Louis. These are all schools that are very, very high caliber schools, very difficult to get into. I'm sure I've missed some. There's probably an admissions officer who's going to listen to me list that list of schools and say, but you forgot me. Excellent, excellent. So uh, that's, that's that's really helpful to to start to get a bit of a sense for, I suppose, the ecosystem of of these kind of different options. I, I guess that's starting to set us up for talking a little bit about, you know, what are the sort of considerations you might advise uh, you know, students to take into account when they're starting to decide. Well, okay, where's where's right for me? Where should I be looking at applying to? The first thing a student needs to realize is that those top schools, and I just realized I left Columbia off the list of Ivy Leagues, Columbia's in New York City, those top schools have a very, very low acceptance rate. They are looking for students who have perfect grades who have taken very hard classes, who have very, very high test scores. And I know in this pandemic world, the testing has become um, problematic, 
But the reality is that these top schools are still able to pick and choose from the best of the best. So they are looking for students to continue to take the tests and show high scores, even though they might officially say they're test optional. The the fact is that statistically, if you have high test scores, you're going to have a better chance of getting accepted than the person who doesn't submit test scores. So tests are important. But once you get past that, they're looking for students who have taken the hardest classes available in their high school, that they have shown academic promise, that they show intellectual curiosity. That's something that they're very, very interested in as students who want to learn. They're also looking for students who are going to be a part of their university or college community and who are going to participate in things, not just from the academic side. They're looking to really build a community of scholars and they want students who are going to come in and join the orchestra and participate in that, who are going to be part of student government, who are going to be running social justice clubs, who are going to be doing things like raising money for Somalian refugees, for instance. They are looking for students who want to be part of things like the rock climbing club. Um, In fact, it's kind of a joke in the United States, but climbing walls are very, very popular at the universities in the United States. I have been out to see about 250 colleges here, and I think maybe at least 200 of them have proudly shown their climbing walls. So they're looking for students who want to utilize those walls. Sure. I, I quite like climbing, actually. I got, got into it last year. It's quite quite good fun. So I suppose there's there's a big element of, well, okay, what school can I get into? What school will take me? Um, but I suppose there's also a big element of what school do I want to go to? What school do I do? Where do I want to be? What are the sorts of factors that come into play? And obviously, this is going to be a very personal decision. But like from your experience, what are some of the the things that you you'd kind of encourage people to be thinking about? when choosing or where where is going to be right for me? The first thing I would encourage students to do is to not worry as much about name recognition, that a lot of times when students are starting to put together their list, and this is even students you know here in the U.S. who um, begin to think about where do they want to go to college, I will talk to them for the first time often when they're in their um, junior year of high school, which is their third year of high school. Uh, They'll be applying during their fourth year of high school. We start to do some research and figure out which schools should they apply to. And they might come to me with a list of schools that they want to apply to, but really all they know about those schools is the name of the school. And sometimes they know the name of the school because the school is famous for um, a sport sporting event. Uh, For instance, Notre Dame is very popular here in the U.S. for their football team. And uh, Duke University is known for their basketball team. But that doesn't mean that those are going to be good schools for the student to go to to study what they want to study. So what I do is I help kids to make sense of all those schools that are out there to pick and choose schools that might have programs that are specifically interesting to them, which brings up a really big difference between the U.S. and the rest of the world. When um, I talk about um, courses, I'm speaking specifically about classes. I know in the U.K., a course is um, a program or what we would call here in the U.S. a major. In the U.K., you need to apply directly into a course. 
In the U.S., you don't need to do that, with a few exceptions. If you're going into engineering or nursing, then you might start out right away into your program. But in general, you start out at your university and you take general um, education classes. You take some some history and um, humanities. You take um, usually a writing seminar, uh, which can be kind of an interesting class. It's designed to be a small class. No matter, even if you're at a big university, which has huge lecture hall classes, they're going to also have you take in your first year a writing seminar where you get to get to know your professor, you get to know your fellow students. There might be 15 to 25 students in that class. It could be something really fun, like the history of James Bond or uh, something about um, cooking or astronomy. I mean, the idea is that you get to take a class that piques your interest you get to know your professor, you get to know your fellow students, you help to develop a community. And in the process, you learn about the writing that that particular college or university wants you to do. You learn how to write papers the way they want you to write them. So that's part of that first year experience. By the end of your first year, you're supposed to start to be making sense of which what things do you want to major in? What do you want your focus to be on? But your major is going to be maybe 12 to 18 of your 36 classes. So you really do get a broad education here in the U.S. That said, when you're looking at the university and trying to decide which ones should I pick, you want to look to see which ones have programs or majors that might be appealing to you. Maybe you're interested in international studies. Then you want to find schools that have really strong programs in international studies. Even though you won't officially be in that program right from the beginning, you'll want to find schools that offer things that you're interested in. You also want to look at the experience of what is it going to be like to go to that university or college. Some of these small liberal arts colleges are in rural communities. They might be quite a distance from an airport. If you're coming from abroad, that might be an important factor to consider is how do I get there? If there is a major airport nearby, that's always helpful. The other thing to be thinking about is what kinds of things can I do in my free time at that university? So I usually have students when they're starting to research a school to read student reviews to find out what do other students who go to that school think about that school. I have them look at the programs that are offered and the kinds of activities that they can be involved with. That's great advice. So thinking about what kind of uh, program you're ultimately interested in, um, both the, the kind of diversity of classes you might take early on. And but by the way, I, I love that system, the idea of that system of, of having that kind of diversity to start with um, before narrowing in. That's, yeah, you know, it seems quite unique to, to the US, maybe some other parts of the world, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, that, that always sounded like a lot of fun to, to me. Uh, what it's like to go there, what's the kind of experience like when you're actually there? Uh, you know, what can you get up to in your free time? Uh, what's the kind of community like? What kind of activities are offered? Um, location and you know, student reviews. What people uh, what people are saying who who are actually there and who enjoy it. Those sound like some some pretty pretty helpful uh, considerations to to take into account when when selecting. When you're starting to put together this list, then of ten to twelve, um, do you have any kind of advice in terms of do we make as many of those slots as possible? 
kind of aspirational top tier schools? Do we kind of aim for a mix? I'm guessing there's quite a bit of strategy that goes into this, and there's going to be quite a bit of uh, personal, uh, you know, personal advice again. But any kind of general tips for for kind of the strategy of the list? Yes. So the first thing I would say is don't make it too aspirational unless you have a backup plan in your own home country that you know that if you can't get into one of these top schools at the U.S., then you're going to go to school in your own home country. But if your goal is to go to school in the United States, you want to make sure that your list is balanced. We look at it as different tiers of um, acceptance levels. Oftentimes, you can use that by looking at the acceptance rates themselves. There are many schools in the United States that have acceptance levels of 10% or less. Those are schools that are turning away nine out of 10 of their students, no matter what they're bringing to the table. You have to recognize that those are going to be very hard to get into. If you're an international student, they might be accepting 16% of their student's body, for instance. They might be um, slotted for international. So you don't even have quite as many opportunities for um, acceptance as as it looks like um, from the, the numbers. But that said, there are also a number of schools in the United States that as long as you meet their academic criteria, as long as you have taken the appropriate courses and you have reasonable grades and reasonable test scores or maybe no test scores at all, that they're going to accept you. So you want to find a range. Maybe if you're applying to 10 to 12 schools, Three or four of those are aspirational schools. And then you might want the other schools to be a mix of schools that might be in cities that you think are interesting or have particular programs that seem interesting. Um, A range of costs, of course, um, come into play as well. So I would say that's where it gets really complicated. And that's probably the place that I help students the most is I help them to know about schools that maybe they haven't heard of. And even here, you know, U.S. students don't know about all of these schools. Usually what happens is in their junior year, third year of high school, they take uh, the, the practice SAT, which is called the PSAT. After they take that test, they start to get inundated with emails from all over the country, from colleges everywhere, saying, apply to us or research us, find out about us. And they don't know how to make sense of all of this because there are so many names that they've literally never heard of. So it's helpful to narrow those down and by whatever way you can. I had one student one year who said to me, I don't want to study anywhere where it's warm. So she literally drew a line across, a horizontal line across the United States and said, I'm not applying to any school that is below this line. I said, fine, because anything you can do to narrow down your list is good. I have other students who say they definitely want to attend school in a particular part of the country. I'm in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and a lot of the students here love to ski. So sometimes I will have students say they want to go to a college where they can go skiing on the weekends. 
which means they're going to be looking at schools in the Rocky Mountains, Montana, Utah, Colorado, um, parts of Northern California. Those are, or maybe the Northeast, Vermont. All of those are places that might be interesting to kids who want to be able to ski on the weekends. Yeah, I love these examples of ways to ways to narrow down this otherwise quite overwhelming choice. Exactly. And it might seem silly to say skiing is something to use as a, a way to narrow it down. But if a student really does love to ski on the weekends, then they're going to be more relaxed. They're going to be happier. They're going to um, have a better experience overall than if they are stuck in a city, perhaps in the South where they don't have anything to do on the weekends. They're used to being out in the outdoors and they don't have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. I'm getting the sense that there's there's clearly quite a lot of thought and work that goes into this process. And maybe as we perhaps come towards the end of the conversation, uh, you could just give us a few hints for sort of at relatively early stages in the process. You mentioned you might start to, to get involved with some of your clients around sort of junior year of high school. You know, what might you suggest in terms of a very broad kind of timeline for starting to to, to kind of engage with this process and, and, and work through it? I like students to do their research during their junior year so that by the end of their junior year, they have a pretty good idea of which schools they're going to apply to so that they can work on their applications during the summer. And I know that you um, have spoken with Greg Smith, a colleague of mine who talks about essays. One of the things that's really important when you're applying to schools in the U.S. is that you do write good essays. And it's a very different process, as you know, from the U.K. process. So I like students to get started on their essays and their applications in the summer before they go back to school for their senior year, because the deadlines are a little bit earlier in the U.S. The official deadline is usually January or February, but many schools offer an earlier deadline. It's called either early action or early decision, and it can be in as early as the middle of October. Oftentimes, though, it's November 1 or November 15. You want to try and meet that early deadline if a school has an early deadline, because you will have a better chance of getting accepted. What might happen is the college will, um, will they'll either accept you or they might defer you to the regular pool. But either way, you've had a head start on getting your application in. You look more organized. You look more like you, you're showing more interest in that school because you met their early deadline and it's to your advantage to apply earlier. That means you do need to know what schools you're going to apply to usually by the summer before your senior year, so that you can write excellent essays and put together good applications. But how do you start to narrow it down? How do you figure out which schools to look at? There are a couple of resources that I really like. One is called the FISC Guide. It's F-I-S-K-E Guide. It's a big um, guidebook. It has about 350 universities in it. There's also the Princeton Review, which has the best 382 colleges, I think the latest version has, which has um, write-ups about different schools. When you read these guidebooks, they will help you to figure out what colleges 
might be interesting to you. There's also some other resources that maybe people um, aren't as familiar with. There's one called Colleges That Change Lives. And I love this resource. It is, you can Google it. Um, There's a list um, online. It's also a book that you can purchase. But it's a group of about 44 colleges, I think, that are probably schools you are not familiar with. That's one of the things about this the person who created this this group of schools was trying to find places that people were unfamiliar with where they could go and get an outstanding education. And um, he wanted to try and highlight those schools so that people would be able to find out about them. So I think it's an excellent resource. All of those schools are small liberal arts colleges and the the write-ups on the website or in the book will give you some great direction and some general good advice about looking at colleges in the United States all around. Those are some great recommendations, Terry. Thanks ever so much. I'll link those in the show notes. So if anyone's wanting to to dip into any of those, uh, we'll put the links in the show notes so they're nice and easy to find. And thank you also for mentioning the uh, college essay, obviously a huge part of the process. uh, And we will have the episode with your colleague, uh, well, your your acquaintance, Greg Smith, coming up uh, next week when we can get into a bit more detail about how to figure your way through this this college essay process and produce the best essay you can. So please do join us again next week for that. <laughs> for today, Terry, I was just wondering, before we, uh, before we kind of come towards a conclusion, is there anything major that we haven't touched on in our conversation today that you think is important to cover before we, before we close? I, I would just say that I think it's really important for students to think broadly about this whole college experience and what they can learn, not just the experience of the actual academic education, but the overall experience of studying abroad. And perhaps you don't want to come to the United States for the full four years, but maybe you'll come for a semester or do t- some type of summer program. So there are a lot of different ways to study study in the US besides just uh, coming here for the, the full degree. Fantastic. So look, for, for our listeners who are either based in the US or around the world uh, and kind of interested in uh, perhaps a little support in the in the whole process of figuring out their options for, for college applications, tell us a little bit about more about uh, where they could look you up and find out a bit more about uh, what you offer. Sure. I'm very easy to find if you just Google Thompson College Consulting. That's T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, collegeconsulting.com. And you'll find lots of information about me on my website, along with a lot of resources and other information about testing and extracurricular activities. There's a lot of good resources available on my site. Outstanding. Well, look, Terry, thank you so much once again. It's been a really interesting conversation for me. I've learned a lot uh, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you for being so generous with your time and your considerable expertise. It's been a real pleasure talking. Thanks again. Thank you, William. 